um, well, when you actually follow the New Testament. Now, if you have, it depends on how stupid you are in your hermeneutics. So we were, we were historically stupid. My group, like we had, we created this monument to stupidity that is standing as a beacon for all humankind. Turn back now. I mean, that was my group. And, you know, this way leads yeah, to death. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, most people are not going to come up with the level of stupidity that we had. I mean, on your own, you're just not. I mean, it was just monumental, classic stupidity. Uh, but let's just say that you are somewhat of a reasonable human being and you read the New Testament. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast, where we're seeking to recover faith by recovering the faith. I'm Kent. And I am Nathan. That's Nathan over there. And we're in a series called Simple Church, or What is Simple Church? Because Nathan is starting a simple church with some people. And we're trying to outline uh, the meaning of such a thing. Uh, last week, we talked about Nathan's story, what brought him uh, to the vision of Simple Church back in the day and it had something to do the story had something to do with realizing that consumerism was tied to the general fund so we talked about the general fund last week and i was looking over your outline and uh of some sort of non-negotiables for you in simple church and the general fund point was really the last point in your outline the first point in your outline is what we're going to come to today all right okay the gospel is the word of god for the church and will serve as the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. The Bible, including the New Testament, is secondary revelation meant to illuminate and be illuminated by the gospel, but not meant to dictate individual behavior or church policy. So dropping some bombs on the evangelical world with those statements there. Um, now there's some sub points we won't, we may or may not get to, but let's just talk about the meaning and the intent behind those two statements. Yes. Okay. okay. So, um, so um, you know, just sitting here just sitting and here reading that, me thinking, that, what crack pot right that? And being like, oh, it was me. And, and, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm just not sorry. I don't, I'm not going to apologize for that. I think that it's just critical. Um, and it, 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 it it feels like I'm the bad like guy when I hear it, and yet I know that um, that it's the truth. And honestly, we're gonna have to get there. It's like it's high time we did. Um, I read a book by a guy. Well, I wish I had it right now. I'll have to bring it back in. It was called The Rise and Fall of the Bible. Oh yeah, I think it was Timothy Beale. Yeah, I didn't read it, but you read it and you told you told me about it. Perfect, man. Thanks. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're a team. team. No. But yeah. Why do you bring up that book? Well, I bring it up because uh, this guy's an evangelical, and he makes the point that the Bible has been misused, that something somewhere along the line, we created this thing called biblicism, that we're using the Bible to do something it was never meant to do. And so what happens, I'm afraid, there's so many reasons to um, see the Bible as not the standard of faith and practice. And really, we don't have time to go into it. Maybe that becomes a whole other series. I hate to be a, you come across as a Bible basher, but maybe, um, maybe if I don't apologize for it, and I don't have caveats and I let, if there's somebody out there who wants to argue about it, maybe we'll have that conversation with them. Uh, and I think we have some, but I'm, I'm certainly open to have that conversation right now. I, I think there are enough people 
arguing the other side for long enough that I can just say what I think about this without having to put in a lot of caveats right now. Okay. So I'm going to put in that caveat about no caveats. Okay. Um, and so what I'm going to say may sound hard for some people, but, um, um, I, I did hear somebody and, and I don't know if they, if he and I would agree in all ways. Um, I think it was a guy named Paul Tripp who said that we have to use the Bible biblically, you know, and, and so there's a lot of wisdom to that and, um, we could never do a service to the Bible by, by overblowing its purpose and misusing it in a way that it was never intended to be used. And if we do that, you know. Um, um, we, we've really, com really uh, committed, uh, committed a wrong and done a disservice to the very thing, the very thing that we think that we, we are, we are revering. revering. Mm -hmm. And, and the Bible, the Bible seems, to me seems to me to be, be um, given, given as, as say a setting for a jewel. For a jewel. And so, and so let's say, a, you know, I, uh, Valentine's day is coming up. Day's coming up. And I decide I want to go all out and I'm just going to, you know, mortgage the house and I'm going to get, going to get a ring, a ring for my wife. And I'm going to spend, you know, a hundred thousand dollars on this ring. Yeah. It's a nice ring. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what could ever make a ring worth a hundred thousand dollars? The jewel. Yeah. You could never get, never get enough gold, enough on, a ring. gold on a ring, you know, mm -hmm. could, never could never make it ornate enough ornate or anything, enough. Else anything else to actually make it worth a hundred thousand dollars. Only the diamond on the ring. And so if you were to pry the diamond out of the ring, how much would it be worth? How much would it be worth? You know, 10% uh, of it, 20, 20% yeah. at most. The ring, it would, ring, but the diamond, but the diamond. You could sell the oh, diamond. Sell you could sell the diamond. Let's say, you know, say some unscrupulous person, person wants to steal her ring steal and, her and, and they're going to fence it. They're going to fence it. Okay. okay. And they take it to somebody and they're like, well, we can't sell it like it is. It's too distinctive. Pry the diamond out and sell it. They're going to get roughly $100,000 for that diamond. You know, I mean, the, the gold by, by comparison is almost valueless. Valueless. <laughs> you know, even though gold itself gold is a precious is metal, precious metal. Um, and even though, and even though, you know, in the art of, art of uh, making jewelry and all that is, all that is something, that something that certainly you wouldn't trust a noob, a noob mm -hmm. with, with putting this, putting this diamond in that diamond setting. In that. Mm -hmm. Right. So it takes a lot of care. Uh, there's value to the setting itself, but it's not the diamond. And the diamond by itself has the values, the value, mm -hmm. even without even the setting. The setting. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's, and so that's maybe, maybe somewhat of an illustration of what I'm talking about. In this case, this the case, Bible is the setting and the gospel is the diamond. Mm -hmm. And it is and the it thing is that of itself has the value. value. Um, and, and certainly you would want some sort of a setting. You really haven't given somebody a gift that they can use as readily. You've given them something valuable, life-changing. If you just give them the diamond, but with the setting, they can carry it around. They can appreciate it. It can be appreciated by others. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, when, when the authors of the new Testament, the apostles and those in their sphere, sphere, um, went out, went out 
to proclaim this message, to offer this pearl of great price to the world, they referred to the Bible. But not always. And I'm sure you can think of the instance in Acts, right? You think about Paul, like, you know, referring to Greco-Roman philosophy or just, you know, referring, comparing his message to their religions. Right. Quoting their poet. You know, even as your own, one of your own poets has said, we are all his offspring. And so he begins with what is implicit to the observant eye. He says, look, there are a bunch of, you got a bunch of altars to gods out here. It's like, you guys don't even know. You even have an altar to an unknown God, you know? Um, and, and so you admit your ignorance. Mm-hmm. That you're you're feeling around in the dark, and you admit that, and and because of that, that you you created this array of gods, and now I'm saying, and all of this is in Acts 17 for those who don't know, um, and and he's preaching on Mars Hill. He's preaching to intelligent people, people who are attentive, people who have not, um, they know they haven't solved it yet. They get together to argue about the meaning of life, and so they know they haven't answered the question. They've heard something strange from Paul. And they want to hear more. And so they bring him in and, and he starts to preach to them, but he doesn't begin in scripture. Now, now that, and that was because they didn't have the scripture. Right. And so it would be a meaningless reference for them. Right. And in a post-Christian society, when evangelicals quote the Bible to make some point about a political stance or a moral issue, um, this misusing the Bible, um, we are, we are in doing so, we're assuming that the other person agrees that that's an actual basis for an argument and they don't. Um, and we can, so we could learn from Paul who was in a pluralistic society and he respected the fact that it is a pluralistic society and you can't assume, you know, having been in kind of a dominant position, um, we assume that everybody reveres the Bible, the Bible. But that's increasingly becoming, you know, invalid. And not only so, but not only do people not see the Bible as inspired, but many would see it as a negative influence in our world. Um, And many of the moral issues in some of those prescriptions regarding, you know, genocide, for one, you know, um, that there are things in there that are troubling when that win taken on their own when seen as, um, um, as direct or primary inspiration become problematic. And so, no, but you're not arguing that the Bible is secondary to the gospel simply because it's not popular anymore in culture. No, no. You're actually seeing this, this is, you actually learned this from the Bible. Right. Uh, in, in the genius of God, God. He has given humankind a revelation that has this portability and um, this accessibility to every human on the planet. And, and so for me, that's the genius of God, that the gospel becomes, because the Bible is, is necessarily not generalizable. It was actually created, uh, you know, the Old Testament rules and stuff made it intentionally quaint and remote from the majority of humankind. Most people around the world eat pork. In almost every culture, anywhere in the world. Why is that? Well, 
pigs are prolific, <laughs> you know, they have nine to a litter. They eat everything. They're, you know, eating size in about six months. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful food source and it's quite delicious, right? Um, every culture around the world. So to tell people don't eat pork, you're, you're not, you know, you're not inviting all humankind to join you. You're really creating a very niche group on purpose. So if we go back and we retain that, if, if the point of it, if the great narrative that we look at is, is, uh, in scripture, if what we see in scripture is God intending to create a nation that would be a blessing to all nations, then, which is something stated in the early right. chapters, right? Yeah, as God's intention, right? Yeah, the way Paul understand understood the first, first, you know, middle, I guess, few chapters of Genesis, you know, um, and so especially Genesis twenty two, uh, where God makes this promise to Abraham and his offspring that through them all the nations of the world would would be blessed. So. In so that is in that this creation is of a distinct people, but a people who are distinct, are not for distinction's sake or for their own, for their own sake, but, but for the purpose of, purpose reaching, of reaching all the nations, all nations. humankind. Mm -hmm. And that became yeah. such a yeah. radical yeah. notion. You know, if you, if you yeah. look in Acts 22, yeah. Paul gets up and he's been arrested. Um, well, he wasn't arrested. He was, he was nearly, nearly beaten to death by a mob. By a mob. Um, the reason being, reason being, somebody thought he brought a Gentile, brought a Gentile across the balustrade into the court of the Jews. Okay. And they were ready to turn him into stew. You know, I mean, they were going to kill him with their bare hands. I don't know if you've ever been that angry at somebody or been a part of a mob, but, you know, uh, what kind of an issue would move a civilized human? To kill someone to with kill their bare hands. Mm -hmm. it, it takes something. It takes mm -hmm. um, And so they're attempting so to kill him with their bare hands. Their uh, you know, it, it says that they would, would have torn him apart. Mm -hmm. That's that's a crazy it's amount of violence, amount of violence. Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, just because they thought he had brought Titus across that balustrade into the court of the Jews, out of the court of the Gentiles. You know, it was a big deal. There was this wall of separation, about an 18-inch high wall. And on the outside, written in Greek was, you're responsible for your own death if you cross this. You know, they're not playing. Um, and so for a Jew to actually bring someone across there, this is, a, this is worse than, than a Gentile deciding he's going to come across this is somebody who's betrayed his people, thousands of years of history. Um, he's putting at risk the distinctiveness and the holiness of the Jewish people, maybe even their existence as a nation. It's a big deal. And so they think Paul's done this. He didn't. Um, but you have to, he has to rely on the pagans to actually be sane enough in this moment to, to save him. And the Romans, so they pick him up, they carry him over their heads just to keep him from being just clawed to death. And, and so and, these and soldiers, you can imagine, you know, they're carrying this, carrying this battered and bloodied guy, guy and they take him to the garrison. And, and, and so he's going, he's having to go to a fortress just to be safe from this mob. They carry him up the stairs. And by the time they get up to the stairs, I, the Jews have maybe calmed down. They're not going to chase him into the garrison because obviously the first several, first hundred or so are going to be killed. Right. And just, just, just by default. 
So nobody wants to be the first one through. So they all stop. And, and he turns around and he starts talking to them in Hebrew. Now, if you can imagine, you're one of the Romans and you're watching this. And the crowd falls silent. And, and he starts to speak to them in Hebrew. And you can't understand what they're saying. Right? Until now, everyone's been kind of speaking Greek. So everybody knows. But now he's speaking to them in Hebrew. They're paying attention. They're like, this isn't some Hellenistic Jew trying to change everything. This is a Judean Jew. This is a rabbinically trained Jew. Maybe we should hear what he's saying. Mm -hmm. So they stop and they listen. And, and there he tells them his whole Damascus Road story, okay? He's implying to them that this human being that was crucified by their leaders is God. Okay, now they're already just on a hair trigger. If I'm a Jew at that time and you tell me that this, you know, itinerant rabbi from Nazareth is not only the Messiah, but the Son of God, okay? I'm going to lose it, you know, I mean, but they don't, they just sit there and listen until he gets to the point where he says, and then he told me to go and preach to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And it says that they erupted in this rage. You know, you can hear the, you can see these Romans. They're just sitting there and they're hearing this language. I don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden these guys just get out, you know, they just lose it. I was like, what in the world? And it's just like, he said, you guys can be included. <laughs> you know, and, and it's just, they were, it's just, that was the outrage. They were the throwing outrage. dirt in the air. Can you imagine this mob? They're so mad. They just don't know what else to do. And they're just reaching down between their legs. They're grabbing a handful of dirt, just throwing it in the air, just creating this man-made fog. But I, I say all that so that we can appreciate what somebody in the first century, how they would have heard Paul. Who is saying, God has sent to you a story. He has given you an announcement. And by faith in this announcement, those guys are included without, without circumcision, bringing their bacon and their pork chops, working on Saturday. Everything that you have counted on, everything that has made you distinctive, every Friday night as you have sit there over your candles, as, as you have seen yourself as an exilic people, you know, as the faithful living among these unwashed, dirty heathen in Babylon, all of a sudden, the Babylonians get to sit up front. What just happened? What just happened? And, and I don't and think I that don't people can appreciate, appreciate the shift that came, came because for that because to be true, you can no longer be under a written code. And so Paul says in Ephesians 2, he says that he has done away with the wall of partition, the law contained in regulations and ordinances. So he's saying, like in that temple, that balustrade, saying the law was that balustrade. And that for Jesus to be Messiah, that a legal, a prescriptive religion had to be demolished. I feel like if we don't apply that, to what we think the New Testament is instructing us to do. We're being hypocritical. 
We're being myopic. myopic. Uh, we're not very, not very empathetic, empathetic. And, and we aren't yeah. being very faithful, faithful in our reading in of our the Bible. Reading. By following the New Testament as law, we're doing the same thing as following the Old Testament as law. And we're undermining the gospel message, which says you're free from the law. And you have to be free from the law in order for this to go to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Right. Right. Yeah. It has to be to be dislodged from the setting sometimes so that a new setting can be forged. A new cultural background can be claimed for it. And we you know, we talked about this idea of the peace child that Don Richardson mm-hmm. spoke of. For for so let's so, say we're, let's we're say preaching the New Testament as law, and we get to where Paul says women should be modestly dressed. And we are preaching to a tribe, right? Where women don't wear shirts. Women have never worn shirts. Okay. Now, what's the first thing those women should do after they're baptized? They should get shirts. Right. Probably a duster dress and some kids' tennis shoes would be ideal. Would be ideal. Right. I mean, when you see when you see African you see tribes where the gospel has come, and they're meeting in a lapboard building, sitting in rows, wearing ties and white shirts, something you know the you know the Westerners have been there. Something's gone wrong. We've brought a cultural setting to to for this diamond, right? And 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 by by that very act, we've included some people who don't belong. Don't belong. Conformists, Conformists, pleasers, pleasers. and we have excluded many who do belong. belong. Those who could hear the gospel in their own native tongue. Those who could could show us a facet of the gospel in their culture. In their expression of faith. It provides the same um, embellishment to the message as does the Hebrew history now. But if we if we level that culture, if we insist that those people no longer have their distinctives, um, um, what we've done is we we've really robbed the gospel of its fertility. But we've also robbed that culture of its unique expression of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And you know, Paul Paul went to Galatia and. and and, you know, what, what could have caused this shift in, in a rabbinic Jew like Paul, except having persecuted the church and met Jesus on the Damascus Road? I mean, what else could convince you everything you're doing is wrong? <laughs> you know, I mean, what will it take to convince biblicists in our era, in our day and time, that their very approach to the Bible is wrong? Because with those lenses on, they always find confirmation in Scripture, right? But the gospel is supposed to be a new set of lenses. It is that through which we read it. And so Paul speaks of that. I mean, so much of what Paul writes, and I reference Paul so much because he just he wrote half the New Testament, but also what he has written has been so methodical, intentional. He is our apostle in that I'm a Gentile, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of that is written to me as a Gentile, I should hear it, but he also had to wrestle with this idea that, you know, and I, I can relate. Okay. When you begin to tell people laws done away, 
then they start to say, well, why, why we even get the Bible at all? You know, what, uh, what was the point? You know, God tried to, he's trying to trick us. I guess it's just, oh, that's off. You can just do anything. These are the, these are the responses that I've had from people. And you can read Paul responding to those exact same objections against the New Testament. Right. He says he has a response to that. May it never be. Right. Now, now so, so one point is that the gospel, the, the, the law has to be removed and following laws have to be removed in order for us to reach every culture um, and without doing an injustice to the culture. Uh, and without um, keeping people out, yeah, and have and 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 forcing people to conform, right? You've also we've also talked at length, and you've argued at length that law doesn't um, make us genuinely holy and godly. Law keeping doesn't actually get the job done that God intends to get done by the gospel, and that's another reason that we don't follow the New Testament as law, right? Yeah, and and Paul brings that up. In Romans, he says, you know, that, that because of you, he's turned to the, in Romans 2, he turns to the Jews and he says, because of you, God has blasphemed among the nations. That's a pretty serious indictment. But he wasn't wrong. When, if you are raised in dogma, you are a moral infant. Okay. And these guys were And so you had people who, because you go into the Greco-Roman world and the only conversation really that matters is, what is virtue? What is virtue? You know, yeah, they, they were hedonists. Yeah. They, you know, they, they were pagans, they were polytheists, but the philosophical question is, what is beauty? What is virtue? How ought one to live a life that is transcendent? Okay. They're wrestling with the existential despair in a civilized society. What's worth doing? What's worth living? What is the nature of man? It's not like they're entering a place of, 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 People who are just, who are just, you know, you know godless, godless and, and just, and just hedonistic, hedonistic entirely, but they, but they certainly there's that undercurrent, undercurrent, but a lot of the questions, like you read Socrates, are you really Socrates through Plato, right? The whole point of the Republic is how do we build a just society based on just individuals who think righteousness is worth having for its own sake? That's the question. That's the question. They were asking serious Very questions. Stringent. Very stringent. And, and, and it's a, it was a, a, it's a question of the basis of it and not just do this, don't do that. Okay. You know, when, when we're talking ethics and morals, someone who's living from a deep seated ideological basis is more moral than somebody who's following a list of prescriptive mm-hmm. prohibitions and injunctions. They're, they're afraid of screwing up. Uh, yeah. And that's the only reason they do quote unquote, the right thing. Right. Right. And I'm afraid that that's what we, in, in this post-Christian society that we're in, okay, we can't afford to have dogmatists represent the Christian message because we come across as horrible human beings, to be honest. Um, and it's not like, <laughs> We shouldn't ever come shouldn't across as horrible human wrong. beings, but for the right, for the right in the right ways, right. you know, Hey, slander me as a horrible human being, you know, you know, say that I don't value this life enough because I'm living for the next, for the next. That's fine. Just say that about me. Say that about me. Say that I'm, I advocate for, for, um, I say I'm pro-life, but I advocate for people to have assault rifles, you know, um, um, maybe that doesn't add up. You know, maybe it does, but you better have a basis. You better be able to argue it, not just 
Well, my, well, my, you know, my position on position things is, is, you know, you know, we should protect should the unborn. Protect and the unborn. if someone breaks into your house, you should shoot them in the face, you know, and, um, which one is it? Which one is you know, it? And, and I understand that there's arguments for all that, but we, we have to think have through to what, are the, what are the, what's the moral underpinning of what we're saying? You know, is life valuable or not? Whose life? Do we advocate for um, invasion into a country of people who are, you know, uh, just don't have the means to respond? There's a lot of things that we could, a lot of Christian nationalists, let's say, Somebody who's Somebody just who's thumping the Bible thumping and they've got God and God guns and guns glory and, you know, and, you know, they just haven't thought it through. Thought it through. I, we, can't we can't advocate for, for some of the policies, of the policies that we have um, in the U.S. and say that's God's will. God's will. Now, now, countries, countries operate on a different operate. level. Okay, I understand that. I understand like we, that. some countries, you know, we have to do what we have to do, but... Um, okay. On, on a kingdom level, like God wants us to go and to go and you know wipe out the Muslims or something, you know, this idea certainly doesn't fit. But we can hold those things in tension if we're just following some arbitrary list, a position paper, you know, because it's not based on some sort of a consistent ethic that would come into the gospel. So, so your your point is that the gospel is our the gospel gives us our consistent ethic. Yes. And it, and not the New Testament. Right. And what is the New Testament? I, I would just say, yeah. Because <laughs> some people are going to say, some yeah. people are going to say, well, but the New Testament is different. And I get that we don't follow the Old Testament, but um, under the gospel, you know, because I, and some people will say, because I get it that under the gospel, we're no longer under the Old Testament yeah. law. However, now we've got this treasure of the New Testament. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And which in and of itself has it been such a... Um, it's such erroneous logic, you know, to call the, the last 27 books, Matthew through Revelation, the New Testament, is a misnomer at its very outset. You mean because because New Testament means New Covenant? Right. And what is Jesus doing before any of those books were written? Take this cup. It is the New Testament in my blood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The New Covenant is the gospel. Yes. It's what Jesus did for us and the message about what Jesus did for us. Right. And that's what... What brings us in to this new covenant with God. And the very book that we call the New Testament is a record of the New Testament being given before the New Testament existed. Mm-hmm. Decades. The New Testament is a record about the New Testament that came in Jesus. Yes. The new covenant that came in Jesus. Right. And so it's commentary on. It is. So New Testament yeah. is commentary on the word of God, the, the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. The gospel is the word of God. The New Testament is commentary on the word of God. Right. And, and it's a, it's, you know, it, it's a historic it's a record historic of how record. a set of people, set of people applied, it, applied it, accepted it, accepted lived, it, it out, lived it out, messed it up, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and so that's important. It's helpful. It's, it's wonderful. I mean, and I, I appeal to this all the time, but just sitting here, you see, I don't have anything in front of me. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm referring to passages in the New Testament because, because man, man, I just been in, I've been drinking it, mm-hmm. dude. I, you know, I love it. I'm not a New Testament scholar. There are people who know it way better than I do, but I've also not neglected it. Um, so you highly value it, of course, and you've learned the gospel from it. Yes, yes. But you've what you've learned in the New Testament is that the gospel is this message that went forth, that created the church, and later the church created the New Testament. 
the writings were passed around. Right. They were they were for our edification. They were writing about the gospel, right. which is God's word that's gone forth into the world. And so somehow we've got to the point where now we've um, now that we've codified the New Testament, now we put ourselves under it mm-hmm. as our authority, yeah, rather than the gospel, right. Right. And it really, I think it's a deeper seated issue in that what Paul says about the law, why the law had to go away was because it's inconsistent with a covenant of faith. He says the law is not of faith, right? Um, In Romans 3, he says, so, you know, because he goes back and forth. And I mean, he just made this point in Romans 2. He says, but when the Gentiles who don't have the law by nature do what is in the law, they testify that they are a law unto themselves, that they have the law written on their hearts, okay? So that's Romans 2. He's saying, here are people who are getting to the purpose of the law. The law's purpose, as stated in Deuteronomy, the law's purpose is so that people will love God and love their neighbor. That's it, okay? Now, interestingly, Aristotle comes along and says, Says, you you know you, you know, know what a thing, what a thing is, is by its ergon, its ergon, work, what it's work, for. What it's okay, for. and so this idea in yeah, Greek philosophy of the ergon became part of ethics. Do your, Do your live your purpose. Live your purpose. He you know before, yeah, before Rick Warren, Rick Warren mm-hmm. a couple thousand years before Rick purpose Warren, driven life. He his philosophy his was purpose driven virtue, purpose driven ethics. Mm-hmm. Now he got it way wrong because he, you know he just gave arbitrary purposes to things um, because. Guess what? Guess what? If you don't have God, God giving you your purpose and just somebody decides, you know, mm-hmm. can just arbitrarily say this is your purpose, um, which is to me the greatest argument for theism, because if really, if ethics comes down to purpose and purpose can only be given or legitimately enumerated, you know, by designated by the creator of a thing. Okay. Like if I make something, I get to say it's purpose. You know, I, I get to define it. I am the final authority on it. So, so, um, this is not related to purpose, but I think it has something to do with the rights of the creator. Okay. Let me say this. Um, so if I give you three letters in a row, G I F. Yep. What is that? What is that? That's one of those picture things. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do you say that word? I don't know if it's GIF or JIF. People say it differently. Right. So, um, and people will make an argument. They will say it's obviously GIF, just like you wouldn't give somebody a JIF. Right. Um, now, now that's an argument. That's a rational argument for what that it should be called GIF. GIF. Okay. But the person who created that file type said it's JIF. Okay. To me, that ends the argument. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Right? Right. Uh, You know, because... Jif like Jeff. Because G G can say J or G. Uh And yeah, you can give an instance of it saying G, and I can give instances of it saying J. We're at an impasse. Who do we appeal to? Right. The creator. Right. So on this podcast, you heard it now. It is Jif. Stop saying G. Okay. Uh, now people won't stop saying gif and that's okay. They can be wrong. It doesn't matter. But when it comes to the purpose of life, right? Who gets to say, now, now, so Aristotle, I don't think he was wrong in the sense that ethics and morals should be driven by purpose. It's just, how do we find that? Right. Um, and so, and so that was, 
I don't even remember. That was an aside. Right, yeah, that's an aside. Yeah, that's an aside. But, but yeah, the Ergon. Yeah, and so Ergon Paul works saying, the law. Right. So, mm-hmm. so the concept of the Ergon is that the, the, the work of a thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so Paul would say that the, he would apply Aristotle to the law. And he would say that the law, just like every other thing, has a purpose, has a, a work. And so when Paul says that the Gentiles who by nature do the things that are in the law, he doesn't mean that they somehow had an instinctive revulsion for lobster. Right. Right. Or that they just knew they should not work on Saturday. All of those ritual and this, you know, those, those kind of quaint parts of the law, they don't occur to somebody. But Paul's saying, look, that's not the point. All of that had a purpose. And the purpose was that we would love God, love our neighbor. And so, and, and I think Paul was, not only was he the, um, maybe the progenitor of some of these ideas, he didn't start it. I, I think he was as much a witness of the power of the gospel as, as he was he saw it happen. advocate advocate for it. Mm-hmm. He saw what the preaching of the gospel accomplished in people's lives. Right. He was like, oh, wow. You know, here are these, you know, they, they walk into the synagogue and they're, and they're like, I want to tell you that he is now Lord in Christ. And the Jews are like, whatever, whatever. And all of a sudden, these people at the window are are loving each other. And they're just falling down in worship. And and they're being stricken with, you know, this power and this holiness. And, and they're finding the wherewithal to relinquish their goods. And, and, and they're starting to just level out all the inequities. Because they're just getting side-string smoke, you know, from this message. Message. Paul's looking out the window and he's just like, oh my goodness, these people got a glancing blow and they're red. Mm-hmm. They're becoming everything we should have been, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, until this point, I think Paul really held out no hope for the Gentile people. I mean, I think that the greatest hope of the Jews was that God would come and destroy them all. You know, that was the, that was the greatest hope of redemption for the world. Not that they would would take the front seat. Not that they would become the most passionate worshipers of Yahweh. That was never expected, you know? And so, as Paul is writing, I think he's just in awe of his own message. And so he says, when the Gentiles do this, you know, he's he's writing to Jewish people who've accepted the Messiah. And he's like, you've just failed to appreciate what you just witnessed, you know? You know, these people these who are just people, leaping just out of the moral cesspools, you know, and they're you putting know, your life to shame. To shame. <clears throat> you fail to recognize it. But then he gets over to Romans over three, and he says, three and he says, he says, so what's the point? So what's the point? You know, what value is there in being? Why, why get me? You know, he's, he's wrestling with these same things. Lest we miss what he's saying, the thrust of his message. We have to look at his own, his own um, counterpoints as he's arguing with himself. Uh, you know, what is it? The invisible interlocutor. If you read the uh, commentaries, so he's got this guy he's, he's arguing with, you know, not there, but um, and he says, what's the purpose? And he says, much every way to them was uh, committed the oracles of God. Great. You know, I, so that does say that there's some, this sealed record of God's interactions with humans that should be retained. But then he says, for what if some didn't have faith? 
Should, would their lack of faith lack make the faithfulness of, faithfulness of God, you know, null and void? Null and void. May it never be. May it never be. I mean, he's saying that he's, the law is given, given in lieu of, of faith. faith. It's given to preserve, given a, people preserve a people without the presumption, without the presumption that they will have the faith, have of, Abraham. faith of Abraham. Which says, says the, law the law is contrary, is contrary to a covenant of faith. Covenant of faith. Which he says... Which he, uh, in Galatians uh, and in Romans, yeah. the law is not of faith. Not of right. faith. Right. 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 And so, and so all that to say, that if to say, <laughs> the reason we use the New, use Testament, the New Testament, Testament as law, as law I, think, I think, is because we don't have we faith in faith. faith. Mm. Mm -hmm. We don't believe that we faith believe is faith powerful enough powerful to guide enough people to guide and to be and their be ethical their code. code. Right. Right. So we lay so laws we upon them all. And on ourselves. Right. Right. And, and it's not just the New Testament, Testament, obviously, obviously um, the church, the church, church councils, councils, this the idea of apostolic of succession, succession. You know, who's got the right got to tell people what to do. We need to know, that, to know that because somebody has to somebody tell them what to do. What to do. And, uh, and uh, so, you know, how would you do that in a, in a physical, physical, a human kingdom? kingdom. Well, you would have succession, succession wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? I mean, I mean, who has the right, has the right after, after leader one leader dies? One dies. Yeah. Succession of authority, like papal yeah. authority. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, apostolic yeah. succession. Mm -hmm. So that, that, authority that authority becomes something, something that is, that is um, imbued into, into someone, into by, someone by, by virtue by of their, their proximity, proximity, I guess, I guess. Um, their circumstances, circumstances, and that it and is an unquestioned question right to rule, to rule based on a, based on a on concept or a principle, principle about authority. About authority. Mm -hmm. Now you're getting into some of the other points you're making in your document about simple church and who, who what qualifies a person for leadership. Right. And, I, and I, you're talking about um, institutional authority versus spiritual authority. Right. Or some yeah. kind of relational spiritual authority that that is dem that is basically comes from your faith in God mm -hmm. demonstrated in your life. Yeah. yeah. And, and I wouldn't say that say these are, these are that, that positional, I would positional maybe call it positional authority, positional authority that someone is recognized someone as the authority and they should be listened to. Listen to. Um, um, that apparently is not done away entirely because there is this idea of ordination laying on of hands mm -hmm. that seems to be, seems to be at least retained in the new Testament. Mm -hmm. But, but, it's a, it's, it's a, a, it's a, not something, not something that, that is, is handed down, down in some in sort of some a sort particular of way. Like, way. Like, for instance, for instance when Paul died, Paul died Timothy, Timothy was not was named, not his, named his, his successor. successor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Timothy had Timothy his ministry in his own right, concurrent to Paul's, Paul's um, rooted in his own his gifts own and, gift call, and call and, and his, his, Continued as Timothy's ministry after Paul was dead because it because it was in the um he was ministering the gospel and so and so ultimately the gospel is the source of the authority um and it is what holds everyone accountable nobody has authority above the gospel Paul makes himself subject to the gospel so there's no need for succession because the highest authority in the church ever lives and never, and never dies, never hands off, hands off. you know, it's power. It's power. Uh, everyone else is, is contingent, contingent 
uh, we are all just, just um, ministers, minister. and minister, minister is somebody who is, somebody is a, a, uh, a steward, a trustee, steward, trustee, but not someone who has, someone who has their own implicit their own authority. authority. Okay, so we kind of veered off a little bit into um, spiritual leadership, but staying on our main point for today, the gospel, not the Bible, is our authority for all matters of faith and practice. So what what it comes down to in church life, in a simple church that's under the gospel, not under the Bible, is that we're not going to be looking to the various ethical, relational commands, um, social commands, in the New Testament to conform to them and to ensure that others conform to them. Right. But rather we're going to be looking to the gospel. Yes. And the message there about what Christ has done for us and his pattern of life, which is to become then our pattern of life. And we're going to be learning from that, from the gospel, right? what to do ethically, morally, relationally, socially. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, we're going to make mistakes. I I, I want to get that out there. I I think that sometimes we we want a written standard because we think we mustn't make mistakes. But I believe that if there's no condemnation, one of the reasons for that is so that we can, we're free to fail. We're free to make mistakes because ultimately there's no stakes in our mistakes, you know? Yeah. Uh, that, that it, we're going to try it and, and we're going to do our best do our and best. God is going God to accept that because that. the intention is everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can yeah. do the right thing for the right wrong reasons and it's reasons. wrong. You can do the wrong thing for the right reasons. And in the kingdom of God, he's going to accept it. <laughs> you know? Whatever is not from faith right. is sin. Whatever is from faith is righteous. Exactly. Exactly. And Paul says, if in, any, in anything you are otherwise minded, God will reveal this to you in Philippians 3. So he's just saying, here's what I've learned from the gospel. I've learned to forget what's behind and press on to what's ahead as I've applied the gospel to my life. Maybe you don't see it that way yet. You know, and, and he's obviously speaking to mature people because he says, live up to what you've already attained. Keep, you know, what, what you've mined out of the gospel, live up to it. Live up to it. For now. If you don't, if you don't, you're starting to harden your heart. You can't hear the new messages from the gospel. If you don't live up to what you've learned from the gospel today, by today, you're not going to get new stuff. But he's saying, maybe this is new stuff. Maybe you haven't heard this one yet. This one yet. And maybe it's hard for you to accept it right now. Right now, it's okay. You don't have to. We don't have to argue about it. To argue about it, you know that there's a that there are spiritual dynamics at work that will reveal themselves if we would surrender to this principle. And so again, that's a matter of faith. We really have to trust God to be free to fail. If if He's not, you know, if He's holding us, we're free to fail. You know. You know, if we're walking across a tightrope and we don't trust that that there's a net down there, there, you know, we're going to cling to that thing. We're going to crawl on it. You know, we may not make any progress at all. But if we trust there's a net down there, man, we're whimsical. You know, we can leap and hop and dance and bounce because we trust. And I think that that is the call to be this kind of whimsical people. Who can mess up, can mess up. Um, and be okay, be okay. and are willing and to err on the side of, of mercy, mercy and love and, love and, and, um, and um, reject, reject this dogma that is dogma rooted in fear. Rooted in fear. Uh, and so I, I, I envision a different kind of people, a people who are much more attractive 
because I think humankind longs for that kind of, of whimsical community. Um, um, and, and we have every reason to be that if we could shed our own fears, our own need to control, then we could become what we need to. So, um, I really want to get, and I know we're running out of time here, so I'm just real quick. I just want to get real specific, personal and pointed. Um, I came up in a group that the assumption was that God gave the new Testament as a pattern for church and the Christian life. And that was assumed. That was assumed. Okay. Okay. And in, and, and because of that because concept, that precept, that precept, um, um, many people were many destroyed. People were destroyed. Mm-hmm. I, I, here's the thing. If here's you're in an, in, in a healthy evangelical church that claims to be Bible based, Bible believing, you, you are not consistent. Mm-hmm. Because that church will say it follows the New Testament. It is not. But actually, but when actually, they, when they, but if it's a grace, it's a gracious church and a healthy church, it's actually in many respects not following the New Testament. It is not. Right. Your pastor told you you are. Get the Bible. Read it for yourself. Pour over its pages. Write in it. Get a separate. Get a separate journal and write every everything that's that even sounds like a, a compulsory statement. Write it all down. It all down. And what do you get? When and you live do that? by that. Yeah. And just give us just give us a few just examples of what do you get when you do that. Okay. Um, well, when you actually follow the New Testament. Now, if you have, it depends on how stupid you are in your hermeneutics. So we were we were historically stupid. My group, like we had, we created this monument to stupidity that is standing as a beacon for all humankind. Turn back now. I mean, that was my group. And, you know, this way leads yeah, to death. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, most people are not going to come up with the level of stupidity that we had. I mean, on your own, you're just not. I mean, it was just monumental, classic stupidity. Uh, but let's just say that you are somewhat of a reasonable human being and you read the New Testament. So you, you haven't just completely resigned all reason, you know. But what you would get from it would be, chances are, chances are, uh, a, requirement a requirement to, to keep the Lord's Supper every Supper Sunday. Every Sunday, you know. Um, um, you would, would your your church would church probably have to be led by, led elders. by elders. None of your elders, None of your could, elders be could be divorcees, divorcees. Um, um, or women, or women, or women. Or women. Yeah. yeah. Well, the women would have women to be one hundred percent silent when you're together. together. Their heads would have to be covered in a veil of some sort. Um, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's really, if you're going to follow the New Testament, you know, we came up with stupid stuff like you can't have instrumental music, which is like, okay. I mean, they went so far with it. Like most people wouldn't come up with that, you know. What about, what about marriage, heterosexuality, homosexuality, kid, your kids, yeah, some of those, uh, relational and sexual stuff. Give us a quick rundown. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, dad's obviously the head of the household. Um, children. He doesn't really prescribe. You know, the New Testament doesn't prescribe specific uh, parental methods. Uh, you have to kind of begin to borrow some of those from the Proverbs, I guess, if you really want to spank your kids. But, um, 
there would be there would a, definitely be a patriarchal. patriarchal. You, you'd have to be patriarchal, like the dad's word is law. And actually, not only is his word law, but being a male is closer to being to God than being female. That there's probably something dirty about being female uh, and that they have a secondary relationship with God in some ways, um, which is why they shouldn't be heard or really seen in church. Um, and, and this is just... women dress. Huh? And, and dress? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It had to be very... Um, basic, I guess, no jewelry, um, no fancy hairstyles. It's not specifically pro, uh, prohibited, but it is in spirit that, you know, wearing of makeup. Um, so, yeah. So this is a quick rundown of what you get when you follow the New Testament, when you follow the New Testament as law. Right. Yeah. 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 So you'd have to drink wine all the time, not water. <laughs> So we'd all be winos, uh, you know, which just gets back to how dumb it is that we had this, you know, temperance movement um, when the, the Bible specifically says drink wine, um, you know. So, yeah, and, and we would say, well, that's just for that guy. But and, and this gets this shows just how silly our, some of our readings are, because honestly, what we have in the book of Acts, we, we have this wonderful treasure in the book of Acts. We have a, a record of somebody receiving an epistle, you know, so in the, in the council on Acts 15 and the apostles get together and they're saying, OK, well, we shouldn't make them get circumcised, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just tell them to uh, abstain from fornication, from things strangled and from blood. Right. It's like, <laughs> seems kind of arbitrary. Give me three rules. Give me three rules. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't wear polyester. Don't wear polyester. <laughs> it's just like, it's it just like, seems so random. So, right. Uh -huh. But, but, and most of us will read that and we, none of us will be compelled to um, ask, you know, hey, uh, how was that kill? If, if mm -hmm. we sit down to a right. restaurant, right. Or right. maybe there's, or there's, maybe there's blood sausage. sausage. I don't know. I wouldn't eat that, but whatever it is, you know, but say somebody gives you a really rare steak, where it's going to do it, you know? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I can't oh, have that. Right. Right. Do we worry about we that? Worry. We yeah. think about it, you know? Well, of course we don't. Why? Because we see that it was a letter written to somebody else. You know, uh -huh. we, understand. Yeah. we understand it's contextual. But we but don't, we don't generally, we don't generally understand that about the various other letters, the letters of the New Testament. They were letters written to other people to deal with issues and problems in their day. They were doing their best to apply the gospel as they understood it in their right. day. Okay, look, we're going to pick this up because I think there's a lot more to talk yeah. about here. Yeah. We're just getting started, but we've got to wrap it up. Wearing people out here, Nathan. Wearing them out. Oh, they can pause if they want to. Always pause if you get tired of it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We hope you're engaged. you got questions, email us, discussion at recoverfaith.org. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.